0: Bible with you if you'd like to turn to Luke's Gospel please. We're going to look at uh, some verses in Luke chapter 4 this morning. We're actually working our way through the Gospel of Luke and uh, we've got uh, to the latter part of chapter 4. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 4 verse 31. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So we look at a few of those verses this morning. We're not going to look at all of them. We'll look at verses 31 through to 37 particularly. Um, But you'll notice that they follow on. From the previous verses, now no that 's obvious, of course they follow on in your Bible from the previous verses, uh, but moreover, they follow on in terms of you 've now got a demonstration of what Jesus was talking about just a few verses earlier, so as Kevin was saying um, the other week, it was uh, Jesus was saying that he was using the words of Isaiah and saying the Spirit of the Lord is on me, verse 18 of Luke 4, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So earlier in Luke 4, Jesus is saying what his mission is, what he's going to be doing. And then straight away, at the back end of Luke chapter 4 here, you find that Jesus starts doing what he was talking about. There seems to be no gap. Straight away, he's into what he knows that he has been sent to do. So Jesus spoke about bringing release. Now he is bringing release. We'll look at what happens in just a moment. But the main focus here, you may notice, is on one word. And the word that really this passage focuses on is authority. Authority. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, the authority of Jesus. So we're not going to look in detail this morning at the accounts of healing and deliverance, but rather I want us to look this morning at what's going on behind that. What's the prelude to that, if you like? And we'll look next time at the more, more detail in terms of the healing uh, of the different people and what Jesus was doing in casting out demons. But it's important before we get to that, we realise that something else is going on here. And Jesus is demonstrating his authority. And that's what this passage is talking about. So let's pray and uh, then we'll get into it and see what God has for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word to us. We thank you for speaking to us already this morning. And we pray now as we spend these moments looking at your word that you would speak to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come and open our hearts, that you would take the word of God and apply it to us. Help us, Lord, to understand what we've read, Would we have soft hearts that are open to you for the Spirit to apply it to us. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the main focus here then is authority. The title of this message is The Authority of Jesus. So if you're making notes, then that's your title, The Authority of Jesus. You see, Jesus, we see here, taught with authority. The people were amazed, says verse 36, and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority... And power. He gives orders to evil spirits. And they came out. A few verses earlier in verse 32 it says, They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. And it seems that Jesus' teaching, in terms of teaching with authority, was very different to the other teaching that the people would have been used to. So scribes and the Pharisees of the day, their teaching style would be very different. They would have said, well, one commentator says this, and and another Pharisee, well, he says this, and somebody else, they say the other, and they would put forward lots of alternatives. They would put forward lots of ways of interpreting the text, lots of arguments, but not really come down in any great way to say this is what the Word of God says. And so when Jesus appears on the scene and he teaches with authority, it's very, very different. You see, some Pharisees even prided themselves on not saying anything original, just quoting from lots of other people and allowing their hearers to make up their own minds about what something really meant. So the people, we're told, if you're reading from the the NIV, it says they were amazed. Other versions and literal translations use other words, so you might find people were astonished. It can mean dumbfounded, struck out of themselves, out of their senses in amazement and wonder, is how one commentator puts it. Do you get the idea here? They were shocked. This was not normal for them. They were not used to being taught in this way. And so when Jesus teaches with such authority and such clarity and says, this is what the word of God means, and he goes on to demonstrate it, we'll look at that in a moment, this is very different. This is quite unusual. This is not what they would have been used to. So because authority was not a common track of religious teaching, when Jesus spoke with authority, they noticed. They really noticed. And I guess it's not that dissimilar to today, is it? So often you find that in a discussion maybe, or when someone's presenting an argument or trying to explain something, very often people are so afraid of offending somebody by their point of view, they can couch what they're saying in so many, you know, alternatives as to not really say anything at all. Have you come across that? No, I've come across that. And sometimes you find that even when people are talking about the Bible. But Actually, Jesus wasn't afraid to say, this is what God says. This is what the Word of God means. I remember uh, a few years ago when we were buying the house that we currently live in, uh, and if you've ever bought a house, you'll be familiar with this process, we had a survey done. And it's where you pay the bank a large sum of money, and they send along somebody to do a survey on the house. And uh, this was the first house that I ever bought. And so I thought, well, probably I ought to have a really good survey, because I don't know a lot about houses, I'd like to employ the services of somebody who really does. So the bank said, well, you've got all these sort of options. You can have this you know, type of survey or this one. Or for lots of extra money, you can have this fantastic survey that you know, goes into all this detail and will give you a report on the house you're thinking of buying. And naively, at the time, I thought, well, I don't know much about houses. I'll pay some money to somebody who does. And, uh, and we went for the most expensive reports and expected a great document of fine detail telling us about every brick in our new-to-be house and whether it was stable and what sort of condition it might come in. And I look forward to receiving this vast document of information that was priced. But actually, when it arrived, it was hopeless. It was couched in so many ifs and buts and possibly's and maybes. And to be honest with you, I could have said the same thing. Knowing very little about such things, I could have easily said, well, maybe this would need doing, or perhaps you might like to think about doing this, or you might want to think about possibly the other. It was completely pointless, because here was somebody who wasn't giving a very clear and determined instruction. They were just saying if, and maybe, and but, and perhaps, because it was couched in so many terms like that. Actually, it told me very, very little. And that's what was happening with the teaching of the day. From scribes and Pharisees that the people would have been used to listening to, their teaching was couched in so many, well, if and maybe, and someone says this, and another Pharisee says that, and, you know, you, you have to make up your own mind. It didn't really tell the people anything. So when Jesus comes along and says, this is what God's word says, this is what it means. It's very different. Now, I was rather hoping from our house report that one, some expert would say, this is the condition of your house. And I wasn't told that. When Jesus came on the scene, his teaching was very, very clear. He was clear about what God, God's word said and what it meant. I guess uh, a common... Trait of people today, and society in general, and this wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, is tolerance. And it's good to be tolerant of of, of other people. It's good even to respect other people's points of views, particularly when they're different from your own. You can respect somebody, even if they hold a different point of view. And it's important that we learn to do those things. But you see, tolerance can go so far where actually nothing becomes actual anymore and tolerance can go on such a track where if it's poorly defined there isn't any truth anymore there isn't any absolutes you can become so tolerant of somebody else's point of view that you lose the certainty of your own and whilst it's important that we receive understand listen to and respect other people's points of view it's also important that we understand what the Bible really says. What did Jesus really say? What did he mean? And whilst we can respect other people's viewpoint on it, it's important that we don't lose what Jesus said. Talking to uh, a friend not so long ago who worked in interfaith relations in the city, he was saying in talking to leaders of other faith communities in the city, they actually quite liked talking to somebody who knew what he believed and wasn't afraid to say it. Yes, he'd respect their point of view and, uh, and work with them on some different things in the community and that was good, but he wasn't afraid to say, well, this is what the Bible says, this is what I believe to be true. And they actually respected that and received him better because of it. Sometimes we can think, oh, I mustn't say what I believe the Bible to, to say, I mustn't really you know, be clear about that. Yes, we must. Jesus was, and we need to too, even in a way that honours and respects other people that might have a different opinion. So Jesus is teaching with real authority, and people notice what's going on. And there are two, trans, two strands to this. Firstly, it's authority in word, and secondly, it's authority in powerful deeds. So first, then, the authority of God's word. Let's look at that for just a moment. The authority of God's word. Jesus taught the word of God with authority. So he was using the Old Testament scriptures that would have been familiar to the people he was, he was teaching. And he was very clear that in himself was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He knew that he was the one that was to come. He, was, he knew that he was the one who could stand up and say, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He knew that he was the fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy there. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, or somehow abolish the Old Testament, but to rather fulfil it. And that's what he did. So he gave the Old Testament his stamp of approval, his authority. He didn't say, no, it isn't important anymore, you don't need to worry about that, now I've come. No, no. He taught it with authority, and it was very clear that he was the fulfilment of it. So we need to understand as well that God's word to us is final. This is God's word. This is his word to us. So Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart you ever found that when you read this book, when you read God's Word? It judges us, doesn't it? We come under its judgment. We find God speaking to us because he speaks to us through his Word. It's not just a book you might pick off the shelf and read. That's interesting. No, no, this is God's Word. And it introduces us, as we read it, to its author. That's what it's meant to do. And so we find that it's living, it's active, it speaks to us. It judges our thoughts and our attitudes. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. That's what he says. All scripture is God breathed. God is behind it all. Even the bits that you find difficult. Even the bits that when you're one of those programs of reading the Bible in a year or something similar. Even those bits where you get stuck and think, oh, it's just hard going now. Even the bits that are lists of people. Even the bits that are measurements of the temple. And you think, I just don't get it. What does God say? What does Paul say? Paul says that all scripture is God-breathed. All of it. And is useful for Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, so much of scripture points us towards Jesus. You could almost open any page and find it pointing towards Jesus as the fulfillment of what the Old Testament was talking about. Paul is clear as well in 2 Timothy uh, 3 that Scripture leads you to salvation. So, uh, Kevin's uh, word earlier during our worship in terms of responding to Jesus' invitation for a relationship with the living God. Salvation, as we we might call it. Well, Paul says this, he says, just before the verse that I've read, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that a servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I guess all of us would say, yeah, I want to be thoroughly equipped. I think we'd all put our hands up for that one, wouldn't we? Well, it's God's word to us, equips us. And more than that, it makes us wise for salvation. Why? Because it shows us how to respond to Jesus and tells us all that he's done for us. So to say again, God's word is our final authority on matters of life and doctrine. So what we believe and what we live, how we live, this is God's word to us. So our opinion, your opinion is to come under this book and the authority of it. So often we can think, oh, well, you know, I, I, I want to live a certain way and uh, you know, I'll try and make the Bible fit into that so I can get little bits of it to, to fit and make work for me. That's not how it's meant to be. Actually, we need to live our lives under the authority of God's words. And if our lives don't add up to what God's word says, Guess what needs to change? And it isn't God's words. See, his word to us is final. Matters of life, matters of doctrine. This is what God has said. Now, I love being in meetings where there are prophetic words. I love being in a context where God speaks that now word to us. It's exciting. It's good to hear. It speaks to us and he, he comes to us. But listen anything that happens like that, any of that prophetic word of God speaking now, that too comes under the authority of Scripture. So nothing trumps this. You know, there's not going to be an occasion where somebody stands up here and says, well, actually, you know what? I've got an extra bit of news. It's a bit different from this, but we'll just add it on to the ends. If someone does stand up on this stage saying that, they won't be staying here for very long. <laughs> because God's, God's word is very clear. This is the book. This is the final authority. This is what God has said to us. So it's not a, a case where it's like a pick and mix selection. Those of you who are, are of a certain age, which is me and uh, older, a little bit younger, who remembers Woolworths pick and wicks as a kid? That was great. Saturday morning, down to Woolies, you get your little bucket or container in 99p, or probably my date is 49p or, or something less, in the days when polos used to be 5p. Yeah, I know. Some of you are looking shocked at that, okay? So I remember Woolies, pick and mix, and you'd go and you could choose whatever you like to fill the bucket or the bag, couldn't you? I liked sherbet lemons, they were my favourite, but they were quite big, so you didn't get a lot of them in the bag, so a wise choice is to choose those and lots of smaller sweets that fill out the gaps as well. But enough of my childhood history at Woolies. You see, there's a pick and mix and you could choose your favourite sweets, Whatever you really liked, you could have those. And the ones you didn't like, which in my case was licorice, you'd leave those. And somebody else could have those. And there was always one container which was really full, which was clearly the flavour sweet that nobody liked. And nobody chose. That's great to do with sweets. It's a shame Woolies doesn't exist anymore and you can't do it. But listen, the Bible is not like that. The Bible is not a pick-and-mix selection where you can go to the bits that you like and think, oh, we'll have that. Oh, this bit's about blessing. Yeah, let, let's have the blessing bit. We like that. Okay, yeah, well, I'll choose that bit. Oh, oh, now I've got a bit about, uh, how my life needs to be holy to the God, holy to God and, and the way I live is important. Oh, we'll just skip that bit. No, no, we're not going to choose that. Or you might go to the bit where you think, oh, yeah, there's promises of God being with me. Oh, that's good. We'll have that bit. Oh, oh, no, no. Now there's a bit here about, uh, what I do with my money and, uh, generosity and giving. Oh, I don't think I like, I, don't, I don't like that bit. You can't do that. It's not a pick and mix selection. It's not a case that you can say, well, I, I, I like certain bits, but the bits about God's holiness and how I live my life and what I do with my time and my money, well, I'm going to skip those. No, no, no. Our entire life needs to come under the authority of this book. This is God's word to us. Jesus taught it with authority. Doesn't mean there wasn't love there. Don't, 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 don't hear authority and think, oh, that means there wasn't any love. There was a whole load of love. You can have authority and love together. It's not one or the other. You can have both. And Jesus is very clear. Think about the woman who was caught in adultery. What was, her, what was his response to her? His response was one of authority, go and sin no more, but also one of love. So you can have both together let's make sure we do have both together. But let's make sure we give this book the authority that God gives it. The authority of, of God's words. But as well as the authority of God's words, we see in this passage the authority of Jesus' actions. So Jesus didn't just teach with authority. More than that, he demonstrated his power. So already in this passage we've read in, in Luke chapter 4, we find occasions of healings setting people free from demonic oppression, casting out demons. In other occasions, you find miracles of creation, in creating food for thousands and thousands of people. You find wine multiplying. Time and again, you find Jesus speaking about something, and then demonstrating his power. So it isn't just something with his words, but rather there authority in Jesus' actions. We've already said there were many teachers in Jesus' time. Most of them were, uh, didn't teach an authority at all. It was all, oh, "This person says that," and so on and so says something else. They didn't teach an authority, and they certainly didn't demonstrate what they were saying with authority in power in this way. There may have been other workers of amazing signs, because actually anything that God creates, Satan tries to copy. So there may have been others who tried to do uh, different uh, miracles of, of different things. But no one had his power or his authority. Jesus was and is unique. But the disciples were soon to learn that actually it wasn't just Jesus who was to teach and demonstrate like this. Whilst he is unique actually, he was to tell his disciples very soon that they were to go and do the same. And he was going to send them out very sh- shortly on their, on their first ministry trip and to go and do what he had been doing. To say the same things and to do the same sorts of signs. They were to f- learn how to follow their master. And as you read through the New Testament, you'll find that people like Paul and others in the early church also not only taught, but demonstrated with power what was going on. They demonstrated God's amazing power. And the expectation, friends, is actually that we should do the same as well. Jesus said right at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And part of the everything that Jesus had commanded his disciples then, and in these commands us now, is not only to preach the gospel, but to heal the sick, to cast out demons, even to raise the dead. And so, yet again, we find ourselves in in a position where our lives often don't line up with what the Bible expects guess what needs to change? And it isn't the Bible. And so if we find Jesus saying, well, you need to do this, and we're not doing it, then we need to come to God and say, Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you show us what we need to do? And so too often today, if you think about somebody preaching the Bible, it is just words. Very often it's just saying something. But time and again, you'll find Jesus Teaching the word of God and then demonstrating in miraculous power, God doing something as well. And so often we've separated those things. And the challenge to us is to bring them together again. The challenge to us is to be true to what this book says, of how God says it's to be done and to line our lives up in that way. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 1 Thessalonians 1, to 4-5. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So just like Jesus, Paul's teaching was accompanied by power from the Holy Spirit to testify to Jesus. Now we're going to look at the account of the man possessed by an evil spirit in a couple of weeks time and see what that, what's going on there and what God has to teach us. But just a summary for now, we can see three things going on in that passage. We can see firstly a demonstration of God's mercy. A demonstration of God's mercy. Secondly, you see a demonstration of God's power at work. And thirdly, you see healing and release for the individual concerned. You see mercy, you see power, and you see healing and release for the individual concerned. So God is not just wanting to heal, but it's clear from Scripture, He is able to heal. I got an Amen. I was already hoping I'd get an Amen at that point. Thank you, Charlotte. (laughs) If I was preaching in some churches, you'd be on the seats and jumping up and down and shouting Amen at that point. You can try that if you like. God is not just wanting to heal, but He is able to heal. You see, He can both do something, He can want to do something, and He has the power to do it. So, for example, let me give you an illustration to help you understand this. You may say to me, I really fancy crossing the Atlantic in one of those pedalos you get at the beach. you ever seen those? You know, those things you sit in and sort of pedal, and if you, if you do well, you go in a straight line. If you're like me, you sort of go around in circles with it. The expensive ones, you even get a roof over your head to keep the sun off. You might say, Grant, I fancy crossing the Atlantic in a pedalo But if you said that, apart from the fact we might say you're mad, you might want to do it. But you would lack the equipment, you would lack the ability, and you'd lack the power to do it, wouldn't you? It wouldn't work. When Jesus says, go and heal the sick, he's not just saying to his disciples, and indeed to us, and we'll see this in forthcoming weeks, he's not just saying something to us that we can't do. Actually, he says it, and then he gives us the power to do it. And Jesus here is talking about release for the oppressed. And it isn't just a talk, but rather you then see an oppressed man released. There's word and deed that go together. You see, God lacks for nothing. And so he's able to say something and he's able to make it happen as well. Words and deed, word and power going together. The New Testament miracles demonstrate the mercy of God. They demonstrate his love. They show that setting people free is important for the living God. They're also a sign. They're a sign that point people to Jesus. They're a sign that show what Jesus says is actually true. It's not just words, but it comes in power as well. How often do we just resort to words? Just resort to a reasoned argument. Just resort to explaining something from Scripture. Now, it's good to do that. It's good to be able to explain things. It's good to be able to understand things clearly. Because God speaks to us through that. But time and again you find in the Bible, not only is there explanation and teaching, but there is power as well. Now, there is power in God's Word. And even as I preach it, it's right to expect that God's Word is doing something. Because we've read already God's Word is living and active. So as I preach it, as I teach this book, as as we read it together, it's right for us to expect that God is doing something. And I'm certain that God is doing something even this morning here in this creation. And that's not about my preaching or power. And some of you will say, yeah, well, we know. <laughs> but it is about this book. It is about God's Word, which is living and active. And so as we preach this book, we should expect that God does something. Do you expect that on a Sunday morning? I know I've been challenged about this recently. So often we can think, oh, I'm just listening to the, to the sermon bit now. I'll trying try and stay awake in the comfy chair and see what, the, see what the person says. No, no, no. This is God's Word to us. As we listen to it, as we hear it taught to us, as we read it, we should expect God to be doing something. I'm certainly expecting God to be doing something even this morning. There is power in his word. In fact, he is the word. He is the living incarnation. He is the word of God. But as well as that, there's the power of God in action as well. And indeed, we're going to look at this in in the next few weeks as we begin to unpack it and we'll pray for the sick together. And now I know there's a tension of not seeing everybody we pray for healed. I know that. I understand that. But listen, if we don't pray for anybody at all, we will never see anyone healed. And the reality is at the moment we see some people healed. So I think that's better than not seeing anybody And should provoke us to press into God and say, please, Lord, would we see more? Please, God, would you show us more? Would you reveal more to us? But as well as those two points about God's word having authority and his power, before we finish, let me just mention this. It also talks about our authority as believers. Our authority as believers. So time and again in the New Testament, you find the phrase, in Christ. In Christ. It's almost a favourite phrase of the Apostle Paul, in Christ. So for example, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And there'll be lots of others that we could look at if we have time, which we don't. Let me look up the phrase, in Christ, in a, in a Bible dictionary. Now, it's hard to understand what it means, but let me just try and explain it briefly in a, in a moment, if I can. Because it's worth trying to get our head around it, because as we do, we'll see that what God says is actually true. It might be hard to understand, but it means that we don't just believe in Jesus. It means we're somehow caught up in him. So it isn't just a mental assent of agreeing to something, but rather, as we believe in him, we're caught up in him. So what it means is this. When God the Father looks at you, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you're a Christian this morning, when God the Father looks at you, Because you are in Christ, okay, he doesn't see all your sin and rebellion and everything that you've ever done wrong because he's forgiven that. But more than that, it's not that he doesn't see that. What he does see is all the good stuff of Jesus because you're in Christ. So it's not that he doesn't see all the negative stuff that you've done, but more than that, he looks at you and he sees Jesus, because you are in Christ. And so he sees Jesus' love, Jesus' mercy, his grace, his power that is available to you as a believer. Why? Because you are in Christ. And now because you are in Christ, that then gives you the authority as a believer to be somebody who can pray for the sick. And cast out demons. Not because you're following some formula. Please don't think it's anything like that. It's because you are in Christ that you can do those things as a believer. It's because you are in Christ. It's not about your authority. It's about His. And because you are in Him, He gives it to you. When we look at this in a couple of weeks' time again... We'll look at how this authority was exercised and what happens as Jesus dealt with those who are sick and oppressed around him. So as we finish, let me say this: The issue of authority is fundamental to understand before we get to the practicalities of how to pray for the sick. We need to understand what our foundation is. We need to understand what we're building upon continue our building analogy of earlier. If you're going to build a building of any substance, of any height, you need to make sure the foundations are good and they go deep enough. And the further you want to go up, the further you need to go down. And actually, it's quite similar in the Christian life, because you need to understand the foundations that you're building on. And the more you want to do for Jesus the further you need to go into him and dig deep. So this is a good foundation for us to understand before we get to the practicalities of well, Well, how do we pray for the sick? What's going on there? What's going on with this demonised man? How, what, what happens there? Well, listen, before we get to that, and we will get to it, let's understand the issue of authority to start with. So allow God's word to shape you this morning. Bring your life into line with what he says. Don't try to mould God to your thinking, because it won't work. Allow God to renew your mind. So let me ask you as we finish, perhaps the bag could come up please as we close. Are you allowing God's word to shape you, and mould you, and lead you? Or do you try and shape it to what you think it should fit for you? Do you expect demonstrations of God's power to heal and to set free? Or are you one who is more likely to know his patience, just to sit and listen and talk? That's good. But so often we can default to that mode and not expect God's power to break in. I want to provoke us over the next few weeks to be looking for God to break in more and more. Because so often it's easy to default thinking, well, I'll I'll default to the rationalised, reasoned argument. I'll default to knowing God in, having patience and listening and talking. And all those things are fine. But let's make sure we don't forget God's power at work as well. Let's make sure we know who we are in Christ. Can we stand together? I'm going to pray and then the band are going to lead us in a song. Come, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord, shall we? Let's look to him. I just feel we should wait a moment before moving on. Holy Spirit, would you now do what you want to do? Lord God, we've looked at your words. I've done my best to teach it well. So I pray now, Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, we not just hear your word, but rather, Lord, we put it into action in our lives. Would we allow our lives to come under the authority of your word? And would we seek our lives then to line up with it? Not to somehow try and fit your word into what we think might be right. But Lord, help us to lead to lead lives that are under the authority of the living God. And Lord, where that's challenging and difficult, where it provokes us, I pray you give us the grace to see your words and the grace to change. We ask you for that, Lord. The grace to change. Father, I pray we'll be open to that. I pray we'll be open to one another, helping us in that journey. Lord, give us hearts that are open to you, open to your spirit, and open to the loving input of our friends. Lord, we so want to live lives that honour you, that are worthy of you. Help us to do it, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would realise the authority that we have in Christ. And Lord, we would begin to understand what it really means to be in Christ. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing together.